you're married and you have a kid on the way, yeah? Yeah, yeah, in October. Yeah, so October. So that's been, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of prep work to get ready for that. Um, not too bad. We have the nursery all set up and, um, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been okay. I think, I think we just need like stroller and, and that sort of stuff and then we're good to go. But cool. we have a couple of courses to do, um, basically explaining how to not kill the baby. So <laughs> that's important. Essentially, that that's what I figured out is all of child rearing. It is um, all you need to do is keep the baby alive. That that's all you need to do, and they will go out of their way to try and <laughs> harm themselves unintentionally, of course. And uh, right. you just need to be yeah. there to be a, a firm safety net, right? That's all. That's that's about that's about right, man. Yes. Uh, feed them, love them, and leave them alone. I think is uh, the, a famous old quote uh, for a child rearing. Uh, it's there are a lot of helicopter parents now, as they call them, you know, and and I think that that uh, I think every generation goes through a cycle of, you know, what my parents did, I'm going to do different. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, you probably just don't know from child to child how it's going to work because I think out of the I'm one of six siblings I'm the baby and uh, I think everybody has a different version of how we were raised oh so I, I was talking to my dad yeah. and uh, he he was born in 1960 and he said um, essentially his parents just kind of it was very much free range parenting like they would they would just let him roam and uh just be home for for dinner and they yeah. said that they would ride their bikes out to the far end of the city and just hang around in the in the pastures and just chill out we're, we're in the prairies in alberta here up in canada so right. um yeah very much free range right and it's so different from um like even when i go to the park near my house there's a lot of uh extreme helicopter parenting where <laughs> you know they're right behind <laughs> them right um so I haven't really decided what kind of dad I'm going to be yet, but you know, ultimately it comes down to what's going to work for you and your kid, right? That, that's that, I think that's about right. The 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 freedom that I was given as a child was uh, the right thing for me. You right. Know? <clears throat> I could have uh, I could have complained that my parents weren't around enough, but I kind of liked it, you know. And I had plenty of friends in the neighborhood. I liked taking the train down down you know into downtown Chicago to go visit my dad nine years old put your nine-year-old on the train <laughs> now and people think you're a horrible parent oh for sure you know? and I I just loved it and and uh you know going traveling with them uh I was trying to think about uh when I think I was about 13 or 14 and we came to can't remember if we not, Calgary's uh, south of you. Yeah, yeah, about three hours and south. Is it about, is it about the same size? Uh, Edmonton's uh, about a million people. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the same size. Yeah. So uh, and they both have international airports. Yep. Yeah. So I think what we did it. I think we flew into one and flew out of the other because we were in both, um, and we go, we were going to Jasper, and uh, to the Jasper Lodge, and then we went down to Banff, and I remember taking uh, uh, a bus down past the glaciers and, and everything. 
And, you know, we go on trips like that a lot. My dad uh, would go see clients and bring whomever of the family he could, you know, throw in the car or get on the plane and that kind of thing. And I was the beneficiary of a lot of that, and I, I loved it. But then, yeah, they, they, they just let me loose, you know. So I'm out at Jasper. They're like, you know, look out for bears and don't drown in the lake. <laughs> uh, dinner's at six, you know. Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, and, and it's, you, become, you become sensible, you know. And if you're especially reckless, you're going to get hurt. And if you didn't die, then they'll tell you lesson learned and maybe they'll crack down a little bit, you know. Yeah, that's right. So. Did did uh did your parents play music at all? Because that, that's one thing I'm I'm pretty excited about for uh for for my kid, just kind of teaching him an instrument. You know, if if he wants to learn an instrument and maybe have a jam buddy, which would be pretty fun. Yeah, my uh, so my dad could barely hold a tune uh, singing. He was a great storyteller, and uh, uh, and that was my adopted dad. So my mom married and had four of us, and then they divorced, and then she remarried, and he adopted me. So the guy, I'd say my dad is the guy that raised me, but my biological father, I don't think he, I, I got to know him later on, and I don't think he could carry a tune if it had handlebars <laughs> either. But my mom was, uh, my, uh, her father was a recording artist literally 100 years ago over in Detroit, Michigan. Cool. Uh, over by, uh, Ann Arbor, the only place you can drive south into Canada. Through the uh, through the tunnel into the Detroit River into Windsor, Ontario, um, and so my mom was uh, uh, a musician as well. She made a living of it. My grandfather grandfather didn't. He was an accountant, but he, he played music right up to the end. Uh, so yeah, I came by it honestly, and all six of us were. Uh, it was impressed upon us that we had to play an instrument, right. and two of us continued: the oldest brother and myself. And he and I have played together literally like four times in our life. That's it? Because when I was, yeah, when I was eight, he was already out playing shows around Chicago and hanging out with Iggy Pop and stuff like Whoa. that. And uh, he was part of the punk new wave scene. But hanging out is like, you know, I mean, they played pool is one of his stories. And, you know, it's, it's just a crazy night in Chicago kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, he became a psychologist and recently retired. He was a psychology professor primarily and recently retired and he's playing more music again so i'm the only one that, that stuck with it hmm. uh, and and uh, i don't know why foolishness stubbornness or just because i love it but uh, I, music is one of the greatest uh, enhancements to any form of ed- education so when your kid is is able to hold on to a ukulele or bang the keys on a piano go to town whether or not they stick with it you know you're expecting what a girl or a boy for little boy little boy right on. you got a name yet I, th- I think we have uh i think we have four or five picked out already every time we go to the doctor's office they have this massive book and it's like a two thousand pages of, of names and we flip through that i think we're on r or something like that now and we just slowly keep adding names that we like but no, we, ha- we haven't picked out anything. And also, we haven't really been telling people because people are so opinionated when it comes to uh, to names. Like, oh, no, I used to know a John or whatever. And, oh, he was awful. Don't, you, don't name yeah, your kid John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're like, well, we were seriously Thanks. considering that. You know, something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're just not even going into that territory at all. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for your unsolicited opinion, but I'm going to name my kid what I feel like. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go with Mortimer Dumbledore. See what you think of that. That's crazy. What um what 
celebrities, uh, specifically singers, name their kids. It's getting pretty nuts. It is. Well, and that's how new names are born, I believe. Yeah. So for sure. Where are you on your uh, timer there? On your on your recording. What does it say? Oh, I'm at. Uh, let me see. I'm at like ten minutes already. I started recording right. pretty early, so. So you started about a minute before me. I'm at nine oh eight. Cool. Welcome to Life, Music, and the Pursuit of Answers. I'm Phil Circle. So, Greg, introduce yourself a little bit. Sure. Um, give me some background. You are in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada right now. I am in Chicago, Illinois, U.S. of A. Um, and uh, I don't think we have thick enough accents for anybody to tell otherwise. You know, so. you'd actually be surprised because... At the CD Baby conference, there was a few words that I said, and people said, "You're from Canada. Where are you from in Canada?" They, they just knew immediately. Oh. It's it, it's something to say do with a, the O's. To say about yeah, the way you do the uh, the owl means more of an O. And I lived in northern Wisconsin uh, for a time, and we uh, we ran into that. My my wife's mom has a thick Wisconsin accent, and that part of Wisconsin. Uh, and right across the the the, the uh, Saint Croix River uh, in Minnesota, there they all may as well be in Canada, mm-hmm. you know. And then the Upper Peninsula of Michigan as well. So the, they all have. It's basically there's just like a border uh, in there that happens to be an international border, but otherwise it's just the same people kind of washed across that vicinity, you know. But uh, and I, I I've run into that too. My actually my brother-in-law. Uh, left me a message, I don't know, six months ago, and he heard my outgoing message on my phone. Uh, it's very, very relaxed, like, hey, whatever, I don't even know what I'd say. I probably recorded it 10 years ago, you know? Yeah, but he's like, you know, I just realized you have a really big Chicago accent. <laughs> so I guess it does creep in. I guess so. So you're Gregory, and your last name is... Relax. Okay, because I... Uh, now, is that originally a French name? Uh... I think it was if it was French, it'd be Berlay. I, I think That's it's um, thought, yeah. it's Austrian and Polish, predominantly. Yeah. So my my grandpa is Austrian and my grandma is Polish. Yeah. And your your family uh, have been in Canada for how long? How many generations? Um. So two. So my my grandparents yeah, moved over here. Wow, that's quite recent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's very cool. Yeah, but I, I was Canada, wow. born and raised. I was actually born in Edmonton, and uh, I lived for two years in Montreal for school. Um, so kind of yeah. went out to the East Coast there. Actually, um, there's only two places in Canada where you can study music technology. Um, there's several several in the states, but only two in Canada. Um, so it's either uh, University of Victoria, which is uh, you know in the British Columbia side far west of Canada and then right. um, on the eastern side there's McGill University um, out in Montreal um, and it, it was kind of a toss up the McGill program looked pretty good UVic looked pretty good um, I just thought it would be fun to go live in Quebec for a little bit practice my French <laughs> eat, eat right. some bagels eat some smoked meat so that was right, pretty right fun um, but, but anyways my background did you is like, did it, you like Montreal? oh yeah yeah yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It could be reclusive at times, um, not being uh, a native French speaker. Um, but if you're in the downtown core of Montreal, 
mostly everyone is bilingual and uh, they will open up conversations in French and uh, I always tried to speak French and oftentimes they would switch and uh, they would say, you know, I just don't have time right now. Can we just speak English and, and get this done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times they would really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak the language and learn the language and would often give you a hand. Um, but but just a lot of times, you know, when you're traveling somewhere and, and maybe you're traveling alone and everyone is speaking a different language around you, it can kind of feel a little bit of isolation after a while. Um, so that's kind of what I found with, with Montreal. But but overall, what a crazy city. There's always so much going on. Tons of festivals, lots of art, lots of great music. Um, so I think I was really fortunate to live there for a couple of years. So did it feel a little bit like leaving the country? Oh, totally. Yeah, it, it felt super European. Um, just the way that everyone conducted themselves. Things that you would see. So for example, I'm in uh, the Prairie Province um, beginning of the Prairie Province in, in Canada, in Alberta. And I, I'd say probably two-thirds of people own a truck. And you just see trucks all over the place. And living in Montreal, I saw one truck. In the two years that I lived there, one truck. And it wasn't. It was the Monster Energy Drink truck. That's all I saw. It was <laughs> so incredible. It was yeah, it was a, a marketing. marketing ploy. So uh, would you say the area around Edmonton then, uh, that you said the, the Prairie Province, so would, would that compare to the states directly south of it, Montana, Wyoming? Yeah, vicinity? yeah, I would say same, so. Same kind, of, uh, same kind of lifestyle, though, same kind of people, or is it a whole different world uh, from what you know? I, I would say Montana's kind of close. Um, most people compare Alberta with Texas, um, really? Yeah, because we That's have lots of cattle. Alberta beef is sure. like a huge, huge export, and a lot of people like eating uh, steaks in Alberta, right? Um, right? People love barbecuing. Everyone has a barbecue on their porch or deck. Um, we, we're just obviously much colder than Texas. Like when we were down for the CD Baby conference, it was 39 degrees Celsius and it felt like 41. I have no idea what that is in Fahrenheit, but it was hot. It was over 100 for sure. Yeah, it was uh, it was like 103 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've 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 seen the math before, and I I, I, I stopped trying to do it. I just I yeah, just it, use it, Google, it's something like minus know? 32, and then divide by five fourths or something like it's a it's like right, such a that's weird. Where, that's why it's that's why it's frustrating. You know, you can come up, you can work out kilometers and miles, and and you know easily enough when you have to do that but yeah there was certain of those calculations where you're like yeah never mind i'm glad i have billions of dollars of the technology at my yeah you can just say hey, hey know, siri convert this please right exactly yeah yeah it's um so uh the, the, uh, that that is I, I should tell people who are listening going to listen uh yeah so we met at the cd baby uh diy musicians conference and greg you have a company called Frettable. Of course, that caught my attention because I'm a guitarist. Mm -hmm. um, so people know how we're going about this um, because, you know, there's no visual. Um, we're, we're using uh, Google Hangouts. So we're looking at video. We're looking at each other and I can see you have an electric guitar on your wall. Looks like an Epiphone, uh, is it? Oh, you have, oh, he moves <laughs> over. It. There's like three guitars. Yeah, I have a, a uh, I, well, I have a lot of guitars, but I have a, Tanglewood acoustic, 
And uh, F400 FM uh, LTD with humbucker pickups and tribal inlays, which are really... That guitar really disorients people um, because usually on fretboards, there is, um, you know, the dots or uh, the ivory inlays, and it lets people know third, fifth, seventh, ninth, twelfth fret, and so on, and it's really easy to track. But this one has none of that. It's just a whole bunch of tribal patterns. It's, It's super weird. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that would be that would that would throw the, anybody off. Fretboard up close. Oh yeah. yes, I see what you mean. It's it's like a Celtic tribal thing almost. It's kind of a a, a mainstreamized. But yeah, yeah, that yeah. would that would be kind of frustrating. But super. Good now, I had a classical guitar in college because uh, I was studying that just to to not suck. Yeah. You know, um, I studied jazz and classical to be better than I need to be for what I actually actually play. And I, it didn't have any dots on it, and I complained uh, to, to my teacher, and he took out a uh, whiteout pen <laughs> and, and put little dots on the, on the side of the neck for oh, me. That's a good so way to do it. Find my way around. Yeah, so he was like, you know, that's for you amateurs. We'll give you the dots, yep. you know, because proper, proper classical guitarists don't do that. Right. So now you studied music technology, you said? Yeah, uh, well, I, I started as a computing scientist, um, so I did right. a four-year undergraduate degree um, at University of Alberta, and that was just coding and uh, fundamentals of computing science and data science. Um, actually, I went into computing science wanting to do video game programming. Um, I just thought that oh. that was the coolest thing. Loved playing video games when I was a kid. Um, sure. But but also always played music. Been in bands since. I was in grade six or seven, something like that. Um, so, of course, I always had an interest in music. I just didn't know that I could do anything like this. Um, and then I started getting into machine learning and artificial intelligence, um, sort of in my last year of my undergraduate degree. And uh, one of the, the final projects for the course was, it was a machine learning course. I was like, do whatever you want in, in machine learning, which is, of course, super open-ended. Um, yeah. So I was like, well, I really like music, so I'm going to start, you know, reading papers and, and getting into AI and music, and I was just super fascinated in it. I immediately knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so then I sought out those kind of two programs in Canada that were available. I also looked in the States, but um, it's really expensive to be a Canadian and go study yeah. in the States. It's real expensive to live in the states and go to true. College. Well, it depends where you are. I, if you're down uh, in the valley, then yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you, uh, you know, to get the to get the better educations, um, you're going to private, generally private schools that are just ungodly expensive. But but yeah, then they also have uh, rates for you know state schools. But you have to be a resident to get it cheaper, and they, there's there's all kinds of mess. And the student loan situation here. Um, okay, so I try not to like get too negative or political or talk religion or anything in in these in these podcasts because I'm looking for positive answers. But in effect, the student loan. Uh, situation here is, in my personal opinion, highly unnecessary uh, because the interest rates, well, are twice what I pay for my car. They are, yeah. You know, 
and and he just and, and there's so there's so many things and and it's a very funny thing because at the same time for instance i i accrued a huge amount of student debt because i went to columbia college chicago which is like uh berkeley school of music of of the midwest you know and uh, it's not a cheap school it's a private school um i don't even know what it is now but when i was there it was it was kind of ridiculous and you know you go well you know it's it's worth the it's worth the 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 money it's my education my education is worth anything you know and uh and and and, and so we'll accrue all this debt and uh, and then we have no out to deal with it uh, later on and uh, they have a few programs that can help you sort of ease your way out of, out of some of it or get some of it forgiven and that sort of thing but it's hard to come by and the amount of money you have to make to pay them back is uh, ridiculous. It, well, it's it's, it's very debt, difficult you know? to financially recover, um, and yeah. and it's sort of a like there there definitely should be a paradigm shift for higher education because if you think about it, once you get past um, undergraduate degrees where it's predominantly you just take courses, that's it. You're you're a passive observer yeah. or well active but pr- predominantly passive. You're listening to an instructor, whereas when you get into graduate school. It's very much going back to old school teaching practices where you have a mentor and you are underneath that mentor and you're researching and you're providing skilled labor for their research lab or you're doing um, a TA ship, so a teaching assistantship. Um, so you are providing skilled labor and um, I, I think that that should be more highly regarded and more highly valued in a sense that it, it, it's a potential career path and you should be compensated so you don't have to take out loans with insane interest rates, right? Um, yeah. Th- that's, that's what I believe, but um, uh, yeah. And, I, and I'm with you on that. It, and and I, I can't remember who said it. It was some, some you know, clever guy in history. Uh, if you think education is expensive... Uh, imagine ignorance, mm. you know. So I'm I'm paraphrasing, of yep. course, but you know, and that's so, very similar. My my grandpa used to always say he used to point at his head. He said, "What you don't have up here," and he pointed at his ass pocket and say, "You better have down here." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yours was much more exactly. elegant quote, though. <laughs> well, and I can't take credit for it except that I paraphrased it and basically managed to get it by, to get it by. Well, and, there's, and that's a big conversation in the U.S. right now is what to do about student loans. It's a constant thing in the news is, you know, the, the student loan debt crisis and, you know, how uh, uh, millennials are, are not able to buy homes because they have too much student debt and that sort of thing. Um, what's remarkable to me is that that, that debt is okay. But then when you, when you if you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to max out all my credit cards to make this happen, um, which plenty of filmmakers and, and, and record producers have done, by the way. I'm one of them. I, you know, when I first started, I put my first album almost entirely on credit wow. cards. And, and uh, because it was the only way I could come up with the money I needed quickly. I, I also managed to get a grant, a $5,000 grant from, of all places, the Muhammad Ali Community Development Corporation in Chicago handed me a wow. grant. Um, but uh, otherwise, the other $20,000, I came out of pocket. So it's not uncommon that thing, you know, people would do that. 
just and, and, and gamble to a degree, but also you know if you work hard, you'll be able to pay this back. So you make a plan. You don't you don't go into it blind and stupid and and uh, you know uh, with with blinders on like you know like blind faith kind of stuff. You do go into it with a plan. So a lot of people will do that, but there'll be all kinds of people around them saying, "Oh, don't put yourself into that kind of debt. That's that's bad, bad, bad." So yeah, I can take out you know. Uh, $100,000 in student debt, student loans, and that's that's great, that's brilliant, that's for your education. You, you might make, you know, uh, a third of that on your job that you get when you're done uh, per year, uh, so good luck paying it back, but that's good, it's for your education. But, oh, I want to take out a $200,000 or $100,000 loan to start a business. So I want to start a business where I have uh, machine learning uh, making it possible for a musician to play their guitar into you know a device and it writes sheet music and they go oh you're out of your mind what are you crazy <laughs> how can you make that work but that's what you're you've done so that like my segue it was, there is beautiful so, back to fredible because i want you to explain that to people and i want you to explain it to people um um well, I, I always say if, if, if I can use it, it's, it's, it's not foolproof, it's fillproof, nice. which is the same thing. And, and I'm not afraid of technology. I just, uh, uh, you know, I used to fix Macs in college, uh, but that was in the 90s because then it was easy, yeah. you know. Um, uh, but the, the speed with which things move, I, I do my best to keep up. But there are certain areas uh, that I uh, do not. I, I have not educated myself widely mm-hmm. in, uh, so while I'm fascinated by it, it's like, geez, man, I'm I'm just trying to keep up with everything as it is. Give me something that I can just push a button and mm-hmm. do it. And but that's I kind of the wonderful thing. Like as a consumer, you don't necessarily need to know all about machine learning and artificial intelligence. You just need to press a button and and be a consumer of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and now explain how Fredible works. Sure. So we're web or, or app-based on iOS or Android. And essentially, as Phil said, you, you press a button and record yourself playing or upload a WAV file or MP3 file of you playing an instrument. And we write out the MIDI notes uh, so that you can bring that back into your DAW and move around all the notes and synthesize it. And we also write out the sheet music and tabs. Uh, for what you played. So we handle uh, vocals, guitar, brass, woodwinds, and piano right now. And we're working on bass guitar, which is super interesting because the frequencies are so low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, and the frequencies being, for people to understand what we're talking about, the low and the high of it. Right. Right. So obviously bass guitar is lower and stuff. But the frequencies are measured by the speed with which the sound waves travel. And the, uh, uh, so I have a low voice, so the sound waves travel. You know, there, there's fewer sound waves per per second. Is that a good description? Yeah, yeah. It's in hertz, it's right? in hertz. Yeah, um, yeah and hertz me- measures um, well, essentially pressure waves in the air, and uh, it's amount of cycles per second. Got yeah, it. yeah, cycles per second. That's what I was. That's what I was looking. Yeah, for. my uh, I did an album with a baritone guitar. I bought a baritone guitar just to see what would happen. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty frugal. Um, I, I don't and, and utilitarian in my purchases, <laughs> um, so that was an unusual move for me. And I, 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 the result was I came up with the EP. It was like five a five song EP, and then we had two analog mixes, so seven tracks total. 
and uh, I named the album Baritones 61.7 because 61.7 is the uh, hertz of the lowest string on the on the baritone guitar. Oh, cool! So, total nerd title. That is very I I I enjoy that as as a nerd <laughs> I enjoy that. That's fantastic. It's a great so conversation. The the baritone guitar. Um, yep. it, does it have five strings or six strings or? It's well, six six, six, six strings. strings um, yeah. Because some of them have um, yeah. so you have the normal six strings on the guitar. Some of them have yeah. um, you know seven eight. Have you heard of um, a new genre of music called gent? D J E N T. D J E N T. Yeah. I don't think I have. Go to YouTube after this and just look up gent. Yeah. And it's crazy guitar. Everyone has a, a modded up guitar with at least seven strings. There's some that have like 10, 12 strings on them. And they have the super slinky strings on them. Um, and it's just uh, kind of like hardcore metal kind of sounding kind of stuff. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, and it's called Gent. And I, I just kind of discovered it and I'm just fascinated by it because of these crazy guitars. Um, but I, yeah, I was wondering if a baritone guitar was um, more like a, a bass with a like a extra lower string on it or something like that. But yeah, I'm not really familiar with baritone yeah, guitars. And you know, don't feel bad because neither was I. I just was like, I want to find yeah. out. So the the best way to describe it is it's uh, it tunes the same as the standard guitar, and. Uh, it's uh but it's a perfect fourth lower a perfect fourth um, okay so we're like yes. in transposing instrument range yeah cool so if i if i play a uh a, 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 a g chord shape it's actually a d i think yeah i think That's and really how good. the heck did you wrap your mind around that <laughs> Did you have to tab out things you're gonna play beforehand and figure out what's it, what it's gonna um, equate to? No, the, I uh, my writing style is such that I, I let the instrument kind of guide me. So I just started you know playing things. So the chord shapes are the same, but you're playing a different right. chord now. So the chord name is different. You know the oh, that would that would mess with my mind so much. Yes, and and it was difficult for for the guy who played all the other instruments on the album yeah. too. Um, you know, he's like, okay, so you're, that's a that's a D chord shape, but what chord is it actually? And like, it's an A. Yeah. You know, so it was that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, and and the the you know, the strings, uh, I think only one of them is not wound, so they're all you know, so they're 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 heavier. So it's sort of a hybrid between a bass and a standard guitar. Interesting. And if you if you hit a, if you strum all six strings on a on a you know a, a, a regular you know six string chord like a G or something like that, uh, it's it's too rumbly, so you you're you're compelled to want to use three strings when you're when you're hitting chord work or be more gentle with right. it, and so I ended up doing a lot of finger picking with it, which was cool because then it was it's uh, the, the, the sort of a lot of Celtic kind of things came out of it for me anyway. Um, I started hearing all kinds of beautiful little melodic things, so you can accompany yourself more easily on it uh, when you're when you're playing because uh, the strings have more resonance, you know. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it, it's. But you also have to warm up for a lot longer because 
you can't you can't just like set it in the corner and pick it up like your other guitars you know if I'm planning, if I got a show coming up, I got to make sure I pick up the baritone because you got to get warmed up to, to you know, the gauge of the right. strings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that's been the, the tough part. So I, I have played bass in the past before, um, but I just yeah. find that the, the gauge of the string is just so unwieldy for my finger. Well, I guess because I'm a guitar player. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. it's a, it's difficult in its own way. Like there, there's something about a bass that I find simplistic in, in playing like it's more um it's more temporal like it's more time-based because you're, you're following the the drummer essentially right yeah, yeah. um whereas guitar i feel is still temporal but more melodic um so I, I find that that offers different difficulties um and complexities while you're playing um but there is the meme about bass players where you know if like well if you're a guitar player you can of course you can play bass it's got two less strings well of course or you can replace the the bass player in your band with a mini fridge, and no one would notice. <laughs> so, I feel like bass players get ripped on so much. Yeah, well, I don't feel bad for them because you know there are probably more guitar player jokes than anything oh, probably. else. You know, and uh, so uh, and and you know it's true that that you know as a guitar player we can move to bass fairly easily and get by, but an excellent bass player is somebody who's usually pretty highly educated about music oh, yeah. and and is attacking the can attack the notes and the chord in, in complex ways and for me a great bass player for at least in my in my history and the kind of music that I write and the things I like to have come across I've always enjoyed melodic bass players. So the guy who's been my bass player for like 20 years mm-hmm. uh, he's he's actually one of the podcasts um talking about curiosity and creativity and he's also an amazing guitarist um but he plays a 10 string tapper bass now so we got nothing wow. on him um it's, it's it's got five bass level strings and then five strings in the range of a baritone and he taps at them with with both hands and plays all sorts and swoops around on them so it's it's hard it's barely even fretted it's kind of hard to explain interesting with, uh, without the visual but it's a a skeleton tapper bass, so people could look that up. And if you know if if if, if you know what a uh, Chapman stick is, no, it's a similar kind of instrument. So to give people two things to cool. look up. Yeah, so I saw. Um, you were. Uh, do you know Victor Wooten? Yeah, yeah. I saw him yeah. play at at Nam um, last year. I think he was at the Sennheiser cool. booth, and he was on stage with a couple people, and that guy can play the bass and that that's a perfect example of like i can be a mediocre to proficient bass player as a guitar player but but that person was just quintessentially a bass player like they they were phenomenal he was so phenomenal Uh, you listen to other uh big time bass players talk about him and they're just like yeah he's he's a monster he's from like another world he is you know yeah and yeah so there's uh, and that's uh, there we go into the 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 realm of music as to also to uh, the question of technique and the question of heart and creativity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's almost like a you nature know. versus nurture, which is a classic biological yeah. dilemma, right? Like yeah. how much of, of it is um, you being reared in in a specific environment versus you innately 
like your, your intrinsic motivations, your passions, um, your internal creativity versus technique, right? Yeah, and, and it's funny because as a, a coach all my life, uh, all my adult life anyway, pretty much, uh, music coach or music teacher, um, I, don't, I, I, I can't even answer that because I've had students that were very technically proficient very quickly. The logic of the fretboard and the music theory was fascinating to them. They, they locked right onto it. But getting them to play with heart was like pulling mm. teeth, man. But eventually we'd get there through, the, through, you know, through my coaching and their willingness to be vulnerable. Right. You know? And then I'd also have students that have the flip side. The students that came in uh, who just had all kinds of heart, but were just slapping them all <laughs> over the place. And, you know, and just and had no interest in, in technique, you know, good technique or what the theory is, who cares what the name of the chord is, you know. And so to beat them over the head with, you know, all this stuff with a million anecdotes as to why, you know, they're never going to get a job if they don't know the theory, et cetera. And, and in both, uh, from both sides, outstanding guitarists emerged uh, who are making great livings now and doing amazing things. In some cases, guys who were diagnosed with, like, learning disabilities and they're, like, band directors. Mm. You know? So it's like, it's just the way music eventually, when, when, it's, when you break through and get the three-dimensionality of the art form, all, all the math in there and all the heart in there, and, and it, when, you, when you finally have that complete globe <laughs> of music, uh, it, it breaks through everything. It breaks through learning disabilities. It breaks through lack of confidence. It breaks, makes an introvert an extrovert. It's just astounding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, well, it, yeah, it is very universal. And everyone experiences it, um, regardless of where you are in the world, which is very interesting. I, I think that that's one of the few things, um, few learned skills that, kind of permeates through all of humanity uh, it's yeah it's kind of amazing actually just thinking about it i've i've got to uh give a, a a keynote about um the intersection of music and peace and so i've been writing it usually i write in my head for mm -hmm. a while yeah i do the know, same thing it comes to like the, the written word you know and then uh, eventually I started landing it on the page. And uh, the first thing that occurred to me was how music bonds people. So I can, I, you know, you think of somebody right now on the other side of the planet uh, that, that is listening to the same song as you are at this moment. And that's all you know about them and you meet face to face and you both, oh, I love this tune by so-and-so, me too, that's amazing, wow, and all of a sudden you have this huge bond right off the bat, and, and then you get to know them and you find out your politics completely don't jive <laughs> from religions that hate each other, you know, and, and you don't even like the same colors yeah. or food or anything else, but you have that bond, and musicians experience that. I, I had a bass player, he and I rarely got along, uh, but he was a great bass player, and when we were on stage, we were mm -hmm. good and when he left the band and he came back later uh it, it was like it, it, we that was what we brought up you know we, we you know he literally commented on that he's like well you know we never seem to get along but man when we're on the stage all of a sudden you know nothing else matters right. 
And so, it, it's a, yeah, it is such a powerful uh, uh, thing. Yeah, well, case in point, you and I, we met at a conference, talked for maybe an hour, and were able to podcast and have deep, meaningful, meaningful conversation and just because of a shared love of music. It's pretty damn cool. Yeah, exactly. That whole weekend, there was, a, there was such great conversation going on in general i saw like this this ongoing theme uh if you know, I, I think we find you know when, when uh if we if we've been noticing a thread in our lives and we're, we continue to pull at it i think we continue to open those con- that conversation elsewhere with other mm-hmm. people uh you, you know it's kind of like when you buy a car a new car and everybody else suddenly on the road has that car you know um but uh, I, I did see that, like an ongoing theme throughout the weekend of, of a few areas uh, of things that I'm trying to learn more about, that I'm trying to advance in my own life, that I'm trying to get a handle on. Uh, one thing that came up regularly was self-care. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you mean you're supposed to sleep? You know? Right. I've, I've heard of this sleep thing, you know. Uh, days off, what are those? Well, same thing for entrepreneurs, and so when right? I got back, <laughs> Yeah, thing. totally. And well, it's hard to do as an entrepreneur, isn't it? You're, you're, you know, if you're not doing the work, it's like that's done. true. Yeah, and and it, you know? it's uh, very much a feeling of, um, I, I guess self accountability and not not really regret, but I, I guess so. Like if you're not working, it, it's almost like you you feel like you're letting yourself down. You're not you're not doing you know you know what everything that you could to make the company succeed or or you know something like that like it's very psychological it, it's it's more so um, a psychological game than than anything else being an entrepreneur that's a really really good point a really strong point um, and I would have to agree uh, I had a 19 year old entrepreneur on who was a student of mine and now he makes my t-shirts mm-hmm. and uh uh, I want uh, he's interesting guy, real talented young musician. His dad's a, a famous Russian bard, they call him, uh, the, the singer songwriter, guitarist, sings in Russian. His dad had been a student of mine and everything, so I wanted some of the angle of being the son of immigrants. Uh, but I was mostly interested in this, you know, what's the world look like to this 19-year-old entrepreneur, and he had some very insightful things to say. Um, but yeah, he, he, you know, his main drive for everything is I want to make sure that people are happy with what I do for them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was that that that's something that is so different from when I was nineteen, which is a long time ago, you know, like thirty four years. Um, and I, I now my attitude always was with you know, so I did other things other than music. I had a landscaping business. Uh, while I was in college to supplement my income and I didn't use we didn't use gas powered anything so everything was electric powered um, we did not use chemical fertilizers um, and, and all stuff like that so it was green like before we called it that right. though I think we called it organic because we didn't have another word yeah. you know uh, for it and so I'd always look for that sort of thing. But the general uh, uh, approach in the 80s to being an entrepreneur was uh, you can just BS people and you got a few bucks and you sell somebody and he who dies with the most toys wins. Mm. 
I, I don't see that as the popular approach anymore, and I'm delighted that that's the case. Well, I, what made you want to write AI, basically machine learning for for music? What was your motivation? Obviously, you're a musician. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm a musician. Um, I was in a rock band, and my guitarist moved uh, from Edmonton to Vancouver. And have you ever tried to write music remotely with someone before? Uh, no, actually, yeah, it, it sucks. It it really sucks. <laughs> um, so imagine that that you and I are writing music together. Like we we want to write a song, right? So um, one of us is going to come up with a riff that you know we're going to kind of start with and kind of build off from there, right? Um, so let's say that you come up with something, and uh, how do you convey that information to me? You probably record it, send me an audio track, um, so I'll get an MP3 recording of you playing. Um, now I want to take that and I want to build off it or I want to tweak it in some way and you know, modify it, make the next evolution of the song. I have to figure out what you played. So I have to transcribe it myself. I have to listen to it, figure out how to play it or, or a rough idea of how you played it. And then I need to modify it and build off the next part of the song. And then I need to record that and I need to send it back to you. And then you need to do the same thing again on the larger song. And you need to figure out how yours is different than mine. And we kind of have to go back and forth playing this whole game. And of course, we could also, we're on Google Hangout right now, or, or Skype or something like that. You can point a webcam at, at your guitar, but then it only gets like a quarter of your guitar and you can't really see. And there's latency and lag and stuff like that. It just sucks, right? Yeah, the sound is yeah. crap. Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, it's not a, not a fun experience to write remotely with someone. Um, and oftentimes I found um, being in a band, um, it, it was kind of, at least in the bands that I was in, it was kind of up to the guitar player or, or the bass player to write an initial riff for the for when, when the whole band got together and there's five of us in a room, we take that riff and then start building. That's a building block for the song. Um, so I kind of thought it would also be great to be able to convey that information to everyone remotely. So before band practice everyone gets together here's the idea i have here's how to play it here's the tabs here's the midis that you can bring it into your daw and play around with the notes um to really just expedite the whole songwriting process right um and you, you don't need it removes geographic barriers to writing music um so that that was kind of the the foundation for the ai um and that's that's kind of the vision for the company is um, basically a collaborative remote songwriting platform where people can, I can write something and send it to someone else and it's a full package. They get the, the full audio recording, they get the MIDI with, you know, light up keyboard, they get uh, tabs and, and sheet music um, to really convey a, a whole song idea, not just audio. Um, and, and oftentimes myself as a musician, I'll, I'll hum something and I'm like, that's a really cool riff. Um, 50% of the time, it's already a song that it was stuck in my head, and I, and I you know, listen to it later, and I'm like, oh, yeah. well, that's, that's clearly uh, play that funky music. I, I can't. That's not a, that's not a novel right. song <laughs> idea, right? Um, but, you know, there's a lot of time where, where it's a really good idea, and I just want to get it down um, so I remember it. Um, and previously, I would record uh, on my phone in a voice memo, and voice memos, that's where songs go to die. That is legit where songs go to die. You record, you know, your song idea, and you never bring it over onto your computer. Uh, maybe you switch phones, and it's just gone. And you just never really reference them. 
Um, so also part of the my idea was keeping everything, um, I guess, on the cloud. So you can sync it between all your devices and, and you don't forget your song ideas. Um, so a lot of the ideas for the company and the core technology stemmed out of personal issues that I had with, with the songwriting process. Um, so I, I kind of created a product to, to help me out with that. And uh, turns out that it helped out a lot of other people too, which I'm, which I'm very happy about. You should be. It's, uh, it, you know, to me, I, I, you named all kinds of uses uh, right there. And what's cool, when we see a need for something, and we, we decide to uh, uh, fill that need, uh, we can rest, rest assured that there's, you know, a thousand people that have that same problem. Uh, it's, it's just like uh, so my, my little record label, you know, the, 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 every artist keeps 100% of their income, and people are like, oh, that's revolutionary. And I say, well, I hope so. And I, you know, I, 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 uh, I assume, though, that there's probably a thousand people either thinking of the same idea or there are other people doing, coming up with other ways to do this who recognized a need for artists to keep their money. And I know that Timbredio is a streaming service where the artists are getting, like, you know, much more than they would get from right. anywhere else. And it's very artist-empowering. So, but, so we have those things that we immediately think of, those needs that we immediately find that we can fill based upon our own experience, our own subjectivity. But then when we share it with somebody, so you, uh, like you're doing here, uh, explaining what motivated you, when I saw you at the conference and I, you know, picked up the electric and I, I finger-picked a little bit and it came out, uh, all I could think about was, oh my God, finally I've, I can get all my songs into proper sheet right. music so other people can play them and do whatever they want with them. Uh, and just so I have like a proper you know, library of my mm -hmm. material. Uh, but also what you're saying about the riffs in the, in the demo, I, yeah, that, so many things I, I find. I'm like, oh, oh what was it? what's this recording? Oh, I forgot about that song idea. What I run into uh, very often, I have run into very often, and, and um, now I just, I... I I write it down, uh, but but with Fredable I wouldn't have to, you know. Is I I'll I'll I uh, I'm, I'll be playing the guitar and I'll come up with a melody vocally, just da 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 kind of thing, and I know because I know music theory because I have a degree in composition, I know what the notes are I'm using and all that kind of stuff. But if I don't write it down, I come back and I hear some all, all together different melody because there's okay, all these, like, I possibilities. that's okay, that's totally happened you know? to me too, and I I was wondering if I was crazy. If that was just me not being able to recall a certain thing, because when I come up with an idea, it's it's so crystal clear in my mind, and I'm jamming it out, and I'm I'm humming it, and I, I, I have such a such a grasp of the of the melody and the the rhythm and the beat, and I'm just I'm all in it, and then sometimes I'll go back to pre-fretable, I go back to my voice memos and and listen to something, and like I I can't even. I can't even recall what it, it doesn't even sound like a great idea. Um, but in the moment, like it must've been how I expressed the idea. Like my mind was mm -hmm. listening to it, but what was coming out of my mouth to express that, that melody or that rhythm or whatever was not, not what it was in my head. Or maybe I'm just a crappy hummer. And I think, 
<laughs> no, I think I think I think it's probably twofold. I think it's the the emotional connection to it in yeah. the moment. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, is 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 one thing that we get to, we're so attached to it. It's like oh, it's like our first love mm-hmm. every time, you know, and so. Uh, we have that emotional attachment to it initially where we, we're convinced it's brilliant. Um, that's why when you write songs, you, one of the big instructions that I give everybody I have, I've ever coached in songwriting, be ready to throw out the mm-hmm. song. That way you take away all blocks that are, you know, uh, uh, the, the, about it has to be a hit. If you're willing to throw the song out when you're done, then you're willing to try anything to make the song great. Um, and you're not limiting yourself. It's it's a, if you love something, set it free, right. sort of thing. Uh, but there's also, I, I think, because you know it, you have a musical ear. Uh, whether or not you have all the theory and understand that that a standard chord has three notes, and if you start adding numbers to the name of the chord, you're looking at four or five, six, and even seven notes mm-hmm. in a chord, in a single chord. You have all these possibilities for melody that can come from that chord, especially when we use non-chord tones in between the chord tones. and So we can get pretty complex just around two mm-hmm. chords. And so you may come back to it, and you can't remember the thing you did because you're hearing other things. Mm-hmm. you know. And then, of course, we're constantly assailed with all sorts of other information that make, make recall difficult. Um, so, like, you know, I, that, that's, that's a... a Especially for somebody like myself, who, who who knows how to write the music down and can you know can sight read you know music with the guitar and stuff like that, I, I something like Fredible is incredibly valuable because of of the ability for me to just go oh I'm gonna quick plug this in and boom knock that out and just now I got the file so when I come back to this song I know mm-hmm. what I did there could be. I might have twice as many songs if you'd come up with this, you know, 25 years ago. <laughs> or you just remember the, the ones yeah. that you lost, right? Right, yeah. And then I might just be convinced that, you know, oh, maybe they weren't that good anyway. You know? um, so is, is Fredible, do you, do you consider it AI, artificial intelligence? Oh, oh yeah, very, very much so. Vi- so, well, I, I think um, so, AI has sort of become an umbrella term. Like it, it, AI okay, incorporates okay. so many different aspects of, of general artificial intelligence, and it, it's kind of been it, uh, abused um, in media. And uh, I mean the term, the term has been abused um, in sure. media, yeah. science fiction, TV, movies. Um, a lot of people, when they hear AI, they think general AI, and general AI would be. Um, have you heard of the Turing test before? Yeah, so um, uh, it's a a famous computing scientist called Alan Turing, and um, he uh, came up with this idea, and it's essentially a a test, and it it was named after him, so it's called the Turing test. And uh, imagine that um, you're speaking to somebody, so either a person or a robot behind a screen, and simply you ask them a series of questions, and if you can't tell um, whether it's a human or a robot, then that's artificial intelligence. So if a robot is able to trick you into thinking that that is in fact a person, then it has passed the Turing test. So uh, recently, within I think like three or four years ago, there was some bold claims that a chatbot, um, so you type to it and it types back at you and responds, 
had beat the Turing test and, you know, it was just a big media scam and it never really happened and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so that that's kind of what people think of when they think of, of AI. It's this um, general purpose walking, talking robot that can trick you that it's human and stuff right. like that. And the truth is that we're, we're so far away from that in terms of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, like there's a lot of talk about, you know, Elon Musk especially is very... Um, very pessimistic about um, the course of AI and how quickly the onset is going to be for the singularity and and uh, I, I guess gets people emotionally involved um, because he wants people to take action in terms of regulation and and making sure that that we don't create robots that become sentient that that wipe out humanity. Um, so I, I think his intentions are good, but. Um, yeah, we're just we're, we're so far away from that. Everything is um, a very single purpose um, artificial intelligence. So, for example, the only thing that our machine learning system can do at Fredible is you feed it audio and it shoots out notes and and sheet music. That's it. If if you ask it to say, hey, can you um, can you look at this picture really quick and let me know if there's a cat in it? Fredible would be like, I have no idea. I I do audio. That's all I do. <laughs> Um, and to a great extent, that's predominantly what all of machine learning and, and AI applications are in academia, commercial. Um, yeah, it's very, very single purpose. I, uh, I read a book by Noah Yuval Harari, the guy who wrote Sapiens. Yeah, I have that book downstairs. Book. Yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. So I, there's another one right after at Homo Deus where he's talking about how he, uh, science is making humans immortal. Like we're getting to the point where we can replace everything. So, you know, as long as you don't like fall out of the sky in an airplane or get hit by a bus or something like that, you could you could potentially live, you know, for forever, you know. And so that's, I didn't read the second that that book, but the one after that is Twenty One Lessons for the Twenty First Century, and he talked a lot about AI. And then I've, I've listened to some audio books too, uh, where, where they've uh, they're talking about it. Seems to be a regular thing. They were talking about it at Davos, at the the where all the like the most powerful people on the planet gather once a year. Uh, they're talking about AI and climate change as two big concerns. Uh, and the concern that I heard the most regarding AI was how, how it may eventually make certain people obsolete. There, of course, would be lots, there's, of course, lots of jobs being created by things like, okay, drones are replacing people in certain areas, but then you need people to make and mm -hmm. control the drones, you know, uh, and, and stuff. But there's the question of how... Uh, uh, how advanced are we going to get technologically, including with AI, um, <clears throat> to a point where people who just don't have access to a certain level of education right. that is going to be necessary, uh, you know, how many people are going to become obsolete? And they have some, I've heard, I heard wildly different numbers yeah. with regard to that and wildly different time frames with, frames with regard to that. There was some stuff, too, where uh, they're saying, oh, you know, and, and this is like from, from just a couple years ago. And they're saying, well, this, is, of course, isn't going to happen for a long time. And like it's happening now, you know, and then there's stuff where, uh, oh, we're, 
we're in, it's it's happening now or it's just about to happen and it seems like well I don't know I, I don't see it you know um, how do you address this you, you, you meant you mentioned Elon Musk getting people emotionally riled up he's, he's very good at that that's part of his business mm -hmm. model you know is get people excited he invented a car he came up with a car that as soon as it was as soon as it was, it was released my car became broken mm -hmm. you know I mean that's because I don't now people you know people like me don't want to drive a car that's polluting you know so my car was broken the minute Tesla came out with his first car you know uh, so he's very good at that you know that emotional response thing it's part of his part of his his gig you know um, and, and and there are I, I had dinner my wife and I had dinner with a good friend of mine who's very very intelligent lots and lots of numbers and lots and lots of knowledge about many many things and uh, you know if there's any anxiety in there though we're all screwed you know because when you add emotion to all these facts and figures and uh, uh, all these this massive change that humanity is watching happen around it uh, people get anxious and they they uh, uh, they start to shut down or freak out or, or or even point fingers they get emotionally involved without even mm -hmm. trying and start having fear because they don't understand right you know I don't understand how AI works. To me, I find it all very fascinating, but I don't understand how it works. And I'm, a, 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 you know, educate well-educated enough guy, who, who who can understand everything you just told me. Uh, and, uh, but I also I I have a positive mindset. Right. I believe humanity is capable of extraordinary extraordinarily great things extraordinarily good things I understand that the intrinsic motivation of human beings uh, according to like anthropology and, and, and other sciences is really that we love to solve problems and help mm -hmm. each other yeah we're very yeah. altruistic so, uh, I mean there's some yeah, some of us you know, in the human not, race that are not but it, widespread yeah 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 how many how many sociopaths do you know I don't Greg? know you would never know that's a thing. Yeah, well, but, but just if you were to look at all the people you hang out with and love and care for and stuff, how, do you, can you think of any of them where you, like, you even suspect it? I mean, I can't with many of my friends or family. Not or particularly. Them, you know. Yeah, so it's like, so I, I know that many people and I can't find a, a, a dangerous one among them. Okay, well, I, I, I guess they are few and far between. I have a lot of faith in Could be biased bias sampling, so though. You, yeah, this yeah. is quite because you surround yourself with people that are, out with. you know, if you're a good valued person, you surround people with people with similar values, and and then your whole friend network is very, it's a bias sample at that point. That's just a data scientist in my yeah. <laughs> in me speaking. Yeah, there, that's a good, that's a very very good point. That's but but uh, point. but I cross paths with all kinds of people too, and I, I there are people who I'm just not maybe not you know wouldn't be nuts about hanging out with, but I still don't see them as as dangerous, right. you know. But what what do you, what do you as somebody who it, it writes AI, you know, who, who uh, you'll I imagine this won't be the first thing you do, the first and last thing you do, you know, with regard to the skills you've developed. Uh, these are the skills mm -hmm. of the future. Um, uh, you know, what do you say to to people about these fears? Well, 
I think um, in my lifetime, I don't think we have to worry about um, um, sentient artificial intelligence um, in the way where it dooms humanity. Like, I don't think we're in a doomsday scenario with um, with AI in my lifetime. Um, but looking back at, you know, when, when I was growing up, there was no internet, right? Like, I, I lived in a world without internet. And look at where we are now. It's incredible. We're doing a podcast remotely. Yeah, um, you're like, we don't even yeah. need to be in the same room together, right? Like, it, it's actually incredible how, yeah. how quickly and exponentially technology has improved um, just in my lifetime. And it's, uh, it, that, that in itself is a little bit scary. And that's kind of what propels people to think about this issue. Um, so I think um, it's a toss-up whether regulation is a good move right now. So preemptive regulation for artificial intelligence. So a lot of people would argue that, so AI is in, increasing in terms of uh, viability commercially and and just for use by humanity like even look at speech recognition where it was five years ago and where it is today um so it's it's actually yeah, yeah. becoming a, a useful tool um and so if we if we look at that and government imposes regulations upon the artificial intelligence industry then you arise a situation where you're almost stunting the rapid growth and um, well, depending on the regulations, right? Um, and maybe you get to a situation where there's so many regulations where you can't um, progress as fast as you otherwise would have. Um, so there's kind of two, two schools of thought. And one is apply regulations early so it's not an issue later. And that's more um, ironically what Elon Musk is kind of after. Like he's after, you know, get, get government committees together that, that can understand the technology behind it and propose regulations for it without stunting growth and then the other one is we don't need regulations on ai until we need it right um so i'm i'm kind of more in the the latter school of thought like i, I think i think it, it's healthy to have explosive growth in in certain areas and uh i don't think we're close enough to the the, the doomsday scenario the singularity uh, where where regulation is really helpful right now, and and that's a very good point in terms of job loss. Um, so it, it also it, it kind of comes down to a philosophical thought about you know what we should be doing as as uh, members of the human race, right? Like should should we um, should we be doing menial tasks um, like running around in a warehouse grabbing people's Amazon orders if there's a robot that can just work. 24 hours a day and just needs a bit of oil and maintenance by a single person is is that really a, a useful energy expenditure for our human race when that person can be contributing somewhere else that provides more value um so it, it kind of comes down to philosophy it provides right? more value not only to other people to them but to yeah them. like i can't imagine uh, uh someone running around in a warehouse in amazon feels particularly fulfilled coming home at the end of the day um, so I feel in situations like that, like, yes, that's, that's an area where, uh, robots will almost certainly, um, push those people out of jobs, right? Like that, that's a, a profession that will probably no longer exist in five to 10 years. Um, but we're, we're sort of safe in the music industry because, um, <laughs> 
you almost need creative thought and and there's ways of mimicking creative thought um among machines right so there's there's artificial intelligence i don't know if you heard about um the ai i think it was made by the google magenta team and they trained uh, a machine learning algorithm on a whole corpus of beethoven and they said this is what beethoven likes to do here's his his writing signature and it, it learned all of that and they said now generate a new piece even though beethoven's been dead for you know hundreds of years generate a, a new piece um and it did and it sounded like beethoven and it was kind of incredible um so there is so that's almost like the turing test kind of thing right like uh would you say that that's sentient because it fooled me into thinking that it's it's beethoven um well, maybe um but i always view artificial intelligence and and machine learning as a tool to aid humanity and, and the perfect example of that is think of a um a, a radiologist who's looking at um you know hundreds and hundreds of um x-ray images um all the time um if they can use a tool that kind of gives them a quick you should really look in this area in in more detail where if they haven't had enough caffeine that day they otherwise might have missed right um <laughs> yeah, i feel like yeah. that's super important for humanity right and it's an aid they're not going to take those people out right i, yeah. I would agree and I, I and that's some of the kind of stuff that i've i've heard of them working on developing and the, the description you just, the example you just gave of the radiologist. So I had a complete right hip replacement uh, because of necrosis of the, the bone wow. that died uh, in my, uh, uh, related to a lifetime use of a medication. It's a, a, a corticosteroid mm -hmm. uh, that kills bone. So um, it took uh, a year and a half for somebody right. to catch it figure out what it was there it's it's your sciatic nerve they assume because i was in my late 40s and stuff you know um no and and, and, and had had somebody picked that up i would have suffered a little mm -hmm. bit less you know more than likely so i'm i'm, I'm down yeah. with that you know and and those are the kind of things too that I, again i find fascinating and when people complain in the music business about the, you know this and that the streaming and Oh, the technology, it's taking all the heart out of it. You're right, let's go back to the mm -hmm. wax cylinder. You know? <laughs> let's go back to the cassette tape. You know? What, like, just, no, let's, let's... We will continue to adapt because that's the animal that we are. There's going to be pros and cons. Every generation has complained about the next one, and every generation has complained about the previous one. You know? Here's what they're, they're doing wrong. Here's what these kids are doing wrong. And the kids are, my parents screwed all this up. It's just part of the, part mm -hmm. of the deal, you know? And we have the potential to really see amazing things happen for humanity. And, and, and the example that you gave, too, about the, um, the, the, the person running around the warehouse, you know? Um, I, I had a, a, a job, one of my day jobs before music was my full-time thing uh, very early on. I did work in a warehouse. And uh, it was like a, a retail kind of, it was a, a Sam's Club, Walmart thing, you know. And, uh, but, but yeah, I, oh, I hated it, you know. 
but I've always had pride in my work, so I've, I've made I made myself like the jobs enough and things. But and I found ways to make that kind of job work for me. I was able to create more. I was able to do stuff in my head, think about other things because I'm doing mindless work. So some people like that aspect of a mindless job. But the biggest selling point to me about uh, technology making us more efficient, getting more things done for us rather than us having to do it, etc., is uh, exactly what you pointed out with this person in the warehouse now. Couldn't they do more value creative things in the world? Couldn't they be spending that energy in some very positive way? So then couldn't we take people that maybe they end up on a universal basic income, but we can still have them spend uh, 10 hours a week going to a food pantry, you know, and, and, and helping people uh, get together some meals who, who, who are even worse off, you know, beyond obsolete, you know, from living on the street or whatever. I don't know, come up with your example, you know, come up with your idea. So I see it only as a positive as long as the, the, the dialogues continue, as long as we keep talking about these things. Um, and again, I find it incredibly fascinating. We're at about an hour and 13 minutes and 37 seconds right there um, uh, on, my, on my clock here. <clears throat> um, where can people find out more about you and Fredable? At uh, www.fredable.com or fredable.ai. And uh, learning more about myself, I think there's a little bio um, on the website there on the About Us page. Um, so you can find out more about me. Um, I guess you can go to my LinkedIn if you care about stuff I've done in the past. Um, my GitHub profile if you care about my code. Um, GitHub.com slash Gregory Burlett. That's all. And Burlett, B-U-R-L-E-T. Exactly. Gregory, like like most yep. people spell it. And Frettable. Yep, fret and Table. Uh, F-R-E. Yes, Fret Table. There you go. That's perfect. Um, dot com or dot yeah. AI, did you say? Okay. Greg, thanks a lot for, for uh, joining me on this. This is fantastic. I'm going to give us a count of three to hit the end of the record. Three, two, one.